Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Scripture in Black and White. Uh, I'm Anthony Walker and joined by Bobby Harrington. Um, if you were with us on last episode, you know, we dug very deeply into the life of Jesus by kind of walking through so many uh, historical sites. Uh, Bobby Harrington had a list of 10 areas we were going to go through and we were only able to make it through the first five. Uh, but but even in those five areas, we know uh, where Jesus was. We know where he was born. Uh, even kind of, you know, looking into it more deeply, we can kind of picture about the time. We know where he was uh, at about 12 uh, as Luke notes that he was in the temple courts area um, where uh, his parents lost him. He was not lost, but his parents lost him. And Jesus said, listen, I got to be about uh, my father's business. Uh, we found out about Herod. Uh, again, we stepped into the beginning of Jesus' public ministry uh, in so many areas around uh, the Sea of Galilee. So a lot of great ground covered in the first uh, five of these 10 points and uh, looking forward to the next five. Great. Good to be with you, Anthony. And uh, I as you can tell, I love going through this stuff. Oh, yes. So we've, gone, we've gone from his birth in Bethlehem to his uh, circumcision and uh, 12th birthday when he was 12. We don't know it was his birthday, but when he's 12, he goes to the temple. Uh, we've talked about then when he's 30, his baptism in the Jordan River. He goes off to the Judean desert for fasting and prayer. Then uh, when he's 30, it shifts to Galilee in the north. And we've talked about Nazareth, which is a really cool town to go to uh, where you can see all these things. And then, uh, and I never realized this myself, Anthony, but most of Jesus' public ministry, his home base is Capernaum. Mm -hmm. So Capernaum's on the Sea of Galilee. It's about 30 miles or 48 kilometers away from Nazareth. It's quite a hike, actually, to walk there uh, from <clears throat> Nazareth to Capernaum. And then in the 1960s, archaeologists started excavating Capernaum. So Capernaum, uh, people lived in it, of course, in the time of Jesus. Uh, probably not a lot, probably like 100 people. Uh, but they lived in it from then until the 500s, and then nobody lived in it. You know, it was, it was desolate. And so in the 1960s, again, when the Jewish people took over the land of Israel, uh, they let archaeologists come to Capernaum. And it is described, uh, the, the work at Capernaum, as one of the top 10 archaeological discoveries in Israel. And uh, let, me let me tell you why. So Jesus moves there. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 said that when John the Baptist is arrested, he moves to Capernaum. Seems to be that uh, Jesus is aware of the political things going on. And uh, here's the things that we know at Capernaum. A lot happened. A lot of things happened there, uh, as described in the Bible. Yes. We think we know where the synagogue ruler lived that's described in the Bible. Uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who gets healed. We think we know where her house is. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest, clearest thing is the synagogue foundation stones 
from the first century, they have been uncovered. And there's no doubt about it that this is the synagogue described in uh, various places in the Gospels, including in John chapter 6. In fact, I got to tell you a story. Several years ago, there was a friend of mine in the church, and he was deconstructing his faith, and he didn't know if he believed anymore. And uh, one day I was just talking to him, and I said, well, come to Israel with me. Let's, let's look at this stuff. There's, you know, obviously everybody can't go to Israel. It's kind of a wealthy person's privilege. Mm -hmm. But I live in an area where people can come. So, so I said, Jonathan, just come with me. And uh, he, he was, like, not believing. And uh, we actually had a little bit of an argument. And, and he said, I don't think I could afford to go there. And because he was a friend, I said, I don't think you can afford not to go there. Mm. And so he took me up on the challenge. Well, we were there in Capernaum. And we're at this synagogue uh, where in John chapter 6, you know, Jesus tells everybody, I think metaphorically, they got to eat his flesh and drink his blood right. or they can't have any part of him. And, and everybody goes, ooh, I'm leaving. Except for the 12. Right. And Jesus said to them, uh, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And the 12 say, well, we, this is tough, but we don't know anybody like you, Jesus. We're going to stick with you. Well, at that place, I later found out Jonathan uh, made a decision to come back. He just, it was like, this is so strong. The evidence here is so strong. I see it for myself. It's not made up. And he said he took a trajectory of his life. Uh, if he stuck with Jesus, and then a trajectory of his life, if he kept going, which was pulling away from Jesus, and he said, that trajectory changed my life, and I came back and recommitted my, my life to Christ, and he's a very devout Christian to this day. So, again, let me, let me just uh, talk about the places that are there. Um, first, you've got the house, which was probably Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. Mm -hmm. Now you say why. So this is a house in Capernaum that became a church building before the end of the first century. In fact, uh, when the archaeologists uncovered it, um, they came along and the Catholics decided to build a brand new church building with a glass floor over the house so you could look down on it. It's the oldest house church that we know. It's the oldest church building that we know. And there's inscriptions on it about God healing the way Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed in Capernaum. Uh, so it's a pretty cool thing. And of course, uh, there's lots of pictures that you can see of the, the church building, of the remnants of the houses, and of the house that was uh, th that became a church building in Capernaum. Now, the synagogue, as I've mentioned, is so interesting that archaeologists have actually put a sign on it. So there's a third century synagogue, so 300 years after the time of Jesus, but it's built on top of the synagogue of Jesus. So archaeologists actually have a sign on it so that everybody knows it's the synagogue of Jesus. And archaeologists have uh, identified it for a couple of reasons. The stones are uh, stones used in the first century. The other stones are from the third, third century. They're, they're brighter and whiter. Mm -hmm. But they found coins. They found coins in it. And it was uh, created in such a way that, uh, that you could clean it out and you know get, get the uh, mop or whatever and push the water 
to go out, and of course it faced Jerusalem, so that uh, it's the right place, the right angle, the right stones, the right coins, and uh, it's exactly as you'd expect it to be. So Capernaum is a really cool town to go to to see these things. Right. It was. It was. A, there was an inscription on a sign when we went over there. Not a historical inscription, but. Uh, they they call it the city of Jesus or the town of Jesus because he did so much work in this area. So many of his uh, works of ministry and miracles that we find in Scripture took place there. So again, yeah. this is an area where it's it's not just that we believe Jesus did these things because the Bible says so, but we also believe it because of the historical fact. People over here knew this house, right? And that was what. You know, when I went to uh, that house, they believe, you know, where Peter stayed, um, you know, it, it, it hits me in the moment. Wait, this is the house. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're, we're not just talking about a house like this is the house. This is the area uh, with the inscriptions, with the dating, with uh, just the historical place here. So, again, it's like if I believe anything. I'm I'm in the location, and, and that ought to say yeah. that ought to say something. Yeah. So if I was not a believer, uh, I would have a, I would have a hard time. I, I would again. All this is just we're we're just saying it. Right. It's exactly as you'd expect things to be if if the gospels are true. Let, let me state it positively. When you look at the gospels and you say, okay, this should be there, that should be there, this custom should be found. This uh, geography should hold up all these. And you, you know what? You're there and it, it's exactly as it should be. And it just corroborates it. So it's, it's pretty cool. Wow, that's powerful. Take us to uh, another point in number seven. Yeah, so let's talk about Jerusalem. We could spend a lot of time about Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of Israel. Uh, it was the capital going back to 1000 BC with King David, uh, where he makes it his home. And then it becomes this literally the city of God. So I'm going to mention just five things real quick okay. in Jerusalem. There's more than this, but I want to mention five things. The first is the pool of Bethes Beth Bethsaida. Uh, let me say that again. It's the pool of Beth Bethesda. I keep saying that wrong. Not Bethsaida's in the north. Mm -hmm. Bethesda's in Jerusalem. So in John chapter 5, Jesus heals an invalid at the pool there. Well, lo and behold, we found the pool. It's exactly as it should have been uh, uh, according to uh, what the Gospels say. The next is the pool of Siloam. Now, this is interesting. So in 2006... A water pipe or a water main bursts in Jerusalem. They dig it up, and lo and behold, they find the Pool of Siloam that goes again back to the time of Jesus. It was a huge pool. It was a place where people would come, and they would uh, have a total immersion. It's called a mikvah bath. It was a large mikvah bath where people would be healed. In fact, in John chapter 9, Jesus tells a blind man, he puts mud in his eyes, and he says, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. 
And so from the Pool of Siloam, you can today walk from the Pool of Siloam through a, a drainage uh, canal from the time of Jesus. You can walk from the Pool of Siloam up the drainage uh, canal all the way up to the temple. Wow. Uh, and I've done that, Anthony. Uh, me and my buddies, we have hiked up through that temple from the Pool of Siloam all the way up uh, inside the Temple Mount area, what's called the Davidson Museum. So uh, let me mention some other things like the Kidron Valley. The Bible says that uh, when Jesus was going to be crucified, that he goes across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, the Kidron Valley is, is amazing because you have these tombs that were there from like 300 BC. And uh, you go and you can see them hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. How about the Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah. Like the Bible talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus goes to pray after the Last Supper. Uh, and it's where he's betrayed by Judas and the Romans come and get him. Well, you can go to the olive grove that is there. Uh, archaeologists tell us, or I guess it would be archaeologists, but geneticists, people who know genetics of trees, mm -hmm. tell they in the trees, and they're basically descended from trees that would have been there in the time of Jesus. You've got things like the potter's field. Jesus, uh, Judas, uh, after he betrays Jesus, he uh, hanged himself. Called the field of Akeldema in Acts chapter one, or the Potter's Field, and uh, it's been identified as a location. So you've got the Potter's Field, you got Garden of Gethsemane, you got the Kidron Valley, the Pool of Siloam, uh, the Pool of Bethesda, uh, Beth Bethesda. Yeah, I don't know why I can't say that right, but uh, I'm not saying it right tonight. So, so and this. Then, Oh yeah, and then the the Potter's Field, Garden of Gethsemane as well. This this is uh, coming right down my lane. I think I mentioned in one of the other episodes that um, the first book uh, of scripture that I read independently, uh, probably repeatedly, was the Gospel of John. I, I just I don't know. I just I just loved it. I can remember uh, fourth fifth grade just reading it and rereading it and rereading it. It was beautiful. And so there, there were certain points in my mind uh, that both the adult Anthony, but also the little boy Anthony, definitely wanted to go to. Um, the Pool of Siloam was one. Um, also, the Pool of Bethesda was another because those were two very pivotal points. Like, you know, Jesus healing this man who, you know, was you know, had an infirmity for 38 years. And he, he asked him that question, that powerful question, do you want to be made well? Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and the lesson in that was, here's a man that was carried on a bed, you know, for all these years. And now he leaves after an interaction with Jesus, carrying the thing that was carrying him. So I needed to be at that place. Um, there's so much preaching and teaching in John chapter nine about Jesus healing this blind man, another person that their infirmity led them to Jesus. It, it was powerful, but I'll share this as well. Um, when we went, we stayed at 
a hotel. And, and when we arrived, we arrived there at night. So, you know, we didn't see much. We grabbed a bite to eat and went back to our room. Well, I wake up the next morning and out of my window is the Mount of Olives. Like that every morning out of my window, I'm looking at the Mount of Olives. And that was day one was our tour. That was the, the Mount of Olives. So when we go to the Mount of Olives, the tour ends with the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I don't know what it was in my mind or just not paying attention to distances. I always thought that Mount of Olives and Gethsemane, like we'd have to go in a car and drive downtown. Like all of this area is within view. It's less than a yeah. mile, really. So yeah. again, it, it going there puts life to the scriptures that we read. But then you have to match that up with the Jesus that we read about. All of this, these archaeological finds, all of these uh, narratives that, that, that we see point to him, it's, it, 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 it's, it's there, it's plain, it's simple. And we have to, as the person that you talked about that, that was in their own battle of their faith, they have to settle on, am I going to accept this as true or am I going to deny what I see? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Bob. Well, I think, I, I think that's right. So uh, about a third of the Gospels are focused on leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So for the eighth phase here, I'd like to just talk about that. So okay. uh, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's how it worked. Thursday night, Jesus has a Passover feast with the 12 disciples. And uh, the, they recline at the table because uh, in the first century, that's how you did it. It's a, called a triclinium, and uh, there's three sides to it, and uh, people serve the food from the middle, and they and you you, you recline at it. You you lie down at it, and uh, it's harder for North Americans to eat that way. But <laughs> when you go to Israel, that's that's how they how they did it. So from uh, the Last Supper, uh, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we try to walk. We we think we know where the Last Supper was based on the descriptions in the Gospels. It's near a place in it in Jerusalem today. Near the it's called Mount Zion, the area. And if you walk from there, and I always have people when I take them, we we do a silent walk from the place of the Last Supper down through the Kidron Valley and up to the Garden of Gethsemane. Like I said, it's about a forty-five minute walk. Then, uh, when Judas betrayed Jesus and he's arrested, he's taken from there Thursday night, and then he's taken to Caiaphas's house. And there, starting that night and then through the morning, first he's tried by the Jewish leaders, mm -hmm. and then in the morning by Pilate, and then, uh, then Jesus is sent to be crucified. So let me tell you what we know about Caiaphas uh, and Annas. We archaeologists think they've identified uh, their house. Of course, they're wealthy people, and there's an area of Jerusalem in the first century that was where wealthy people lived, and it also had a, a, a dungeon or a you know a prison chamber. Uh, and so the house has been identified. The the prison chamber is. Uh, when you're there, if you go there today, they've recreated what it would have been like out in the courtyard. 
because what happens is Jesus is arrested by uh, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, and they're, they're, they're trying him, and uh, somehow there's a fire in the courtyard, and a servant girl, you know, says, says to Peter, hey, you were with him. And Peter says, no, I wasn't. Hey, you were with him. <laughs> she comes back, I wasn't. Third time, hey, you were with him. And he says, no, I wasn't. So there's a fire going there. And of course, Jesus had predicted that Peter would betray him like that. So they, they kind of show it. But there's steps there that are first century steps right up to that house. So it's pretty cool when you're there. You're there to see them. Um, now, the dungeon, when you go into the dungeon, uh, it's it's kind of like, wow. Mm. Because uh, Caiaphas you know, is trying him. As best we can tell, uh, he, he goes through, you know, a series of like six mini trials throughout the night. And between the trials, he's held in this dungeon. And then, of course, they pull him up. So they, they literally rope him and let him down, and then they pull him up as best we can tell. Now, here's something very interesting about Caiaphas. In 1990, uh, they were widening a road in an area called uh, the Peace Forest in Jerusalem. And a dump truck was riding over an area, and uh, the tire collapsed into something. So they pulled out the dump truck, and inside they found a cave. And inside the cave, they found the family tomb uh, or the, the um, ossuary of Caiaphas the high priest at Jesus' time. And they think it because they're the bones of a man who's about 60 years of age. Uh, the markings are from Annas and Caiaphas. And everybody's pretty sure that this is actually the bone box of Caiaphas or, or the, the family ossuary of Caiaphas. And uh, the, the, uh, the bones look like they're actually Caiaphas's bones. So that's pretty cool. Wow. And then, add to this, in the early 60s, Pilate, who also tries him, uh, Pilate, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of uh, leading up to the 60s, there's a little bit of contention about what the Bible says about Caiaphas. Yeah, yeah, he was probably there, but does he really have the title that, that the Bible says? Is he really the prefect of Judea? Well, then in 1961, in Caesarea, the coast of Israel, a group of Italian archaeologists discovered a limestone block, and it's dedicated to Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, exactly the way the Bible says. And so he would have been ruling between 26 AD and 36 AD as the Roman governor or the Roman uh, prefect in uh, in Israel at that time. And you can see that again. That's one of these things when you go to the Israeli Museum, you actually get to see it. Now, before we leave the trial and leading up to the crucifixion, which for us is number eight, I want to mention something else that's super interesting. So the Bible describes that there's a man, Simon of Cyrene, mm -hmm. who carries the cross of Jesus. This is an interesting story. So during World War II, a couple of Jewish archaeologists, uh, they found a tomb of this man. 
And it was like, whoa, this, this is strange. So the tomb, I'm sorry, not the tomb, the, uh, they're called bone boxes or ossuaries, says Alexander, son of Simon. Now, here's the thing about it. They know that uh, Simon of Cyrene, that that's likely to be a Greek name. And uh, Alexander, uh, let me just, just describe it this way. It would be very hard to get these two names uh, on, a, on an ossuary in Jerusalem from the first century. And they think that they found the ossuary uh, of the, this man. Now, the Bible puts it this way in Mark 15.30. A certain man from Cyrene, uh, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Mm -hmm. So the scholars concluded that everything about this, this uh, ossuary seems to fit this individual from Mark 15, 21. So those are the events leading up to the cross. So uh, just kind of a quick recap. We, we've stopped in number eight here. We've stopped all around the trial, the imprisonment, um, and even leading up to the cross. And, and we've backed this up with archaeological evidence. And, and again, this is kind of the, uh, the path that Luke takes. What you're going through now is kind of taking this path that Luke takes, which is we're not speaking now just on a deep held belief. <laughs> we are backing this up by uh, evidence. Luke says he backed his up by we're, investigation. We're, we're doing what Luke did. Yeah. We yeah. investigating and making an orderly account. Exactly. This is a, a, an investigation. I mean, think about it, Anthony. How, how, how amazing is it that God has given us the ossuary of the high priest who sentenced Jesus and corroboration that Pontius Pilate was not only there but he's the prefect the way the Bible says that there were no other literature that said it that way. And then in 1961, they find this thing. Uh, yeah. It's it's amazing that you find these things that corroborate what the Bible says from 2,000 years ago. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. All right, Bobby, take us, take us to the cross. Okay. So let's just talk about the cross, what we can know about the cross. So it was a common means uh, that the Romans would use. So the Romans are the occupying army in Israel in the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the cross was a common means they would use to kill Jews. If you were a Roman, you had your head cut off. But if you were a Jew, you could be killed by crucifixion. And it was an unusually painful, gruesome way to die. It would take somebody anywhere from, you know, five hours all the way up to three days because they literally nailed you from your hands. Of course, the, the wrist in the Bible, the, the, uh, the word for hand included the wrist okay. so that they would nail you through the wrists and through uh, the ankle bones right to the cross. And uh, in the case of Jesus... Uh, they'd also beat him to the point of death. 
uh, several years ago, the Journal of the American Medical Association published an article on the physical death of Jesus Christ. It was like 1986. And in it, these medical doctors just looked at the Gospels, what they said about Jesus, what they knew about crucifixion, and they said that by the time he was put on the cross, he was already probably in critical physical condition. Mm. And uh, so he's already on the cross. Now, we know uh, more about crucifixion. In 1968, in an ossuary in Jerusalem, they found uh, actually the ankles uh, with a nail in it, uh, a nail from the first century. By the way, after 70 AD, they didn't put people in ossuaries anymore. So when we find them, we know it's all pre 70 AD. Anyway, so they they found uh, from the first century a nail that had been uh, hammered through an ankle into uh, a tree, but it was a knot in the tree, and so the the nail got stuck in it, and the wood and the nail and the ankle bone were all there, and and so they found uh, this remnants of a crucified person which gave them a much better way of seeing uh, exactly how it happened. Now, the cross would have been on a tree. They would have taken normal trees and just put crosses on it, and uh, several people could be uh, crucified on, on the cross that's put on a tree. In the case of Jesus, it would have been three, uh, three trees in a similar area where people were uh, crucified mm -hmm. uh, in in uh, 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 just outside of Atlanta. There's a an archaeological site that James Fleming and other archaeologists have recreated what the cross would have looked like. And uh, typically, I can show pictures of that for people gotcha. to see. Gotcha. Well, let's go to the last phase. Uh, you may want to say something before we talk about Jesus' burial. And then the most important thing of all. His resurrection. No, no, no. Let's let's go ahead and go to uh, number ten. So for us, the most important thing about Jesus is his death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension to be with uh, to to be at the right hand of God the Father, where the, the Scripture teaches us there He is waiting, and He will come back uh, soon. Uh, to judge the living and the dead, but that he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and he rose from the dead as a sacrifice of atonement by which he takes away our sin if we will place our faith in him. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about the most central thing mm -hmm. uh, of all, that is uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So his, now, so his death, just, just, to, ahead, just to interject here, so his death is significant to us, not just because here's another man that dies, but his death was, as you point out, the scriptures teach, this is an atoning death. And this is a death that even Jesus says, I'm going to die. But then second part of that is burial, which people may not put too much emphasis on that as well, but we don't bury, bury someone who's still alive. So we know that he had to have been dead, not just because of, you know, he doesn't have a pulse, but we also know he's dead because he was buried. But then resurrection says, wait a minute, <laughs> we've reversed 
all of that. Now, no one had been resurrected who's, who predicted it and who does it of their own power. So this right. death, this burial and resurrection, I just wanted to underline that this was not a death of someone, you know, passing away in their sleep or natural causes. This was a significant death. But even the burial itself is significant and the resurrection. Go right ahead. No, this is really good. You know, Anthony, when you're in Israel and when you're in Jerusalem and you're looking at everything, it really hits you in a way it doesn't hit us North Americans. You know what they did in the temple? The, the most important thing they did in the temple? They sacrificed animals on every day mm -hmm. for the sins of people. Right. And in the Old Testament, the whole temple system leading up to the most holy place is the atonement uh, the, the uh, atonement cover over the Ark of the Covenant where you had two angels and it represented the presence of God and blood had to be sprinkled there to atone or take away sin. And, and scripture says this in Leviticus uh, 17. God says that the life of a person or the life of a being is in the blood, and I have given the blood of these animals to make atonement yes. for sin. In other words, to take away sin so God can be at one with us. Well, be, with what Jesus did in the shadow of the temple is Jesus was crucified as the sacrifice of atonement for our sin. It wasn't the blood of goats and calves. It was the blood of God's son. And it became an eternal sacrifice that is universal in scope that will take away the sins of everyone who repents and turns to God and places their faith in Jesus and, this is crucial, and in his sacrifice of atonement. We are relying on the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as that which takes away our sin. So there's literally in all scripture, nothing more important. Let me read you the words of uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. As he describes this. By the way, this is written within 25 years uh, of these events, which I believe happened in April of 30 AD. He, here's what he said. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ, notice that first importance. Mm -hmm. Like, this is like critical stuff. <laughs> Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The scriptures there would be the Old Testament. Then he appeared to uh, Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Paul writing somewhere around 55 AD says, most of whom are still living. Those some have fallen asleep, some have died. So this is like critical stuff. Uh, people have analyzed First uh, Corinthians 15, by the way, and and uh, in in the the original languages, it looks like it was an easy to memorize thing. What I passed on to you of first importance: Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In other words, this is this is the heart of everything that we believe as Christians. So Paul points it out uh, very plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If 
he did not, if he was not resurrected from the dead, then all of our preaching is profitless, as Paul says. It's everything we're doing now, because what Paul is, is signifying here is that we would have had a man who lived and died. And that's like every other man who's ever lived before and every other man that lives after, if that's the case. And so we're making all of this you know, noise and, and, and all of this hubbub about a regular man who died. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's the fact that this man was raised on the third day. This resurrection, he separates him from every other man that has ever lived. So uh, again, this, and, and like you said, this is written down just a few short years after Jesus is resurrected. And there were witnesses who would have seen the resurrected Christ, who, who those who were in Corinth could go back if they wanted to and say, hey man, did you see, I, I was just reading uh, the letter from Paul here. Did, did you happen to see this Jesus I've heard about him, and they could say, yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. Hey, Anthony, before I jump in, uh, sure. just for those who are following along, if you want to read more about this uh, at renew.org, if you'll, if you'll just do a Google search, renew.org, Death, Burial, and Resurrection of Jesus, there's a three-part series that goes into this with great detail, and uh, also there's some video there of uh, of the actually the a church that I'm just about to talk about. So here's what we know happened is that Joseph of Arimathea got the body of Jesus. Uh, they wrapped the body. That's how the Jews did it in the first century. You would wrap the body. You put on spices. You'd wrap the body. You put it inside of the tomb. You roll the the stone over the tomb. Uh, scripture says the Romans were a little bit nervous about. Jesus, so they sealed it so that nobody could, you know, break in without them knowing. So they seal it. So he's put in the tomb Friday. When he dies Friday, Friday afternoon, he's, he's put on the cross around nine in the morning. Around three, he dies. They want to make sure that they uh, get him down and get him in the tomb before the Sabbath begins. The Sabbath begins Friday at sundown. So they put him in the tomb. It's part of Friday. He's in the tomb all of Saturday. And then Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, the women go there and they find the stone has been rolled away. The cloth is there. John actually describes when they come in and look at the cloth, it's there, but there's no body in it. And that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, in Israel, again, they're, you know, like I have this picture. They're building a road, and they, they're building a road, and they come across this tomb with a stone in front of it. It's exactly the way the Bible describes. There's a bunch of these, uh, these uh, tombs. Actually, the tombs are so interesting because when, when you roll the stone away and you go inside, there's a place where they wrap and leave the bodies. And then after a year, after all the flesh has decayed and gone away, they'll take the bones and they put these bones in bone boxes or ossuaries. And then when you're there, you can see this. Then they put the ossuaries in uh, 
well, they're almost like cubby holes. There are these big openings that have been dug out to put the ossuaries in. So in Jerusalem, uh, there's a couple of places when you go there with tourists, they'll say uh, possible places where Jesus uh, died and was buried. Now, when you go there, you want it to be the, gar the, the garden tomb, okay? Uh, because it's like it's fresh. Uh, the, the courtyard is beautiful. And, and uh, you know, you, they talk about the, the place of the skull mm -hmm. where there's a mm -hmm. rock formation. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, the tomb is not a first century tomb. And it was not looked at as the place where Jesus was uh, buried by anybody until the eight, 1800s. And again, it's not a first century tomb. So all the scholars uh, almost unanimously point to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm -hmm. And I, let me just give you a little bit of background on that, because it's built of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Let me actually give you the background on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So when Jesus uh, was crucified, uh, it would have been on a, a road just outside the city gates. And uh, in this area, there would have been a road, uh, and it would have been uh, that road where people would have been crucified. And then just across the way, uh, there are tombs because it's an old stone quarry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been there and I've seen the areas. There are first century tombs that are there. Uh, and it, there's no doubt about it. So there's an area that would have been the road. Not very far from it are the ossuaries. And, and here's the background on it. So this area had become a place of worship by the end of the first century. Uh, when the Romans are trying to squash the, the, act, the religious activity of the people in Jerusalem uh, just after 100 AD, what they do is they build a temple to a pagan god to stop Christians from meeting in that area. Mm. And so uh, I believe it's the Temple of Aphrodite. So what happens is uh, in the early 300s, after Constantine uh, uh, decides to follow Jesus, his mother comes and she uh, gets all the people the Roman authorities can find to try to find out where these places are. Well, they know where the tomb is likely because the Romans, 200 years earlier, built a pagan temple over it. So they, they tear down the pagan temple, and lo and behold, are these first century tombs. Wow. Now, in 2007, Anthony, I was there at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and my guide was a Palestinian guide uh, who was very good friends with uh, some of the Roman Catholic authorities, and they actually took us uh, back behind where tourists usually go, and we saw the remnants of the of the Roman pagan tomb or a, a temple that was there uh, that was built in the early 100s that had been destroyed. So what happened is that they built uh, a, an area to honor where the tomb was. 
And so that was built in the 300s. Now think about this. So from the 300s up until now, that area has been venerated. A year and a half ago, uh, in the summer of 2021, uh, National Geographic had the had been given the authority with a group of archaeologists, and they took it apart, and it had never been taken apart. And when they took it apart, they found that it was actually underneath everything was a first century tomb, and everything had been uh, put in place and built around it from the 300s. Nobody had tampered with it. No one had touched it. No one had touched it. Wow. So that now, you know, everybody uh, is acknowledging that this is, uh, this is the place believed by the earliest Christians where Jesus would have been crucified. When you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, on the right-hand side is where he would have been crucified. And then as you go in and go to the left, and it's a huge church building, right. uh, is the area where you have this big monument uh, and then uh, inside that monument, and it's all covered up, you can't see it, would have been a first century tomb. And they think that that would have been the area where, where Jesus would have been, his body would have been placed. One of the things that impressed me about that and and, and so many other of the sites where Jesus was uh, is, is you kind of find some extremes um, depending on who uh, maintained it. So like we talked about earlier with uh, Jordan, there's one spot that's, you know, very nice and pristine, but where he more than likely would have been is the site that where you don't have a lot of people. So you find that extreme, but then on the other side, you know, you have all of these locations along the uh, Via Dolorosa, the, the road of sorrows, where almost every 15, 20 steps you take, there's another church. <laughs> you know, the day that we went on the tour of the Via Dolorosa, the whole tour pretty much was just going from church to church to church along this path because, uh, as our guide was instructing us, uh, Catholics, uh, early Catholics, you know, took this as a spot and they built a temple there uh, to signify. So there's a the temple of flagration, you know, where Jesus uh, would have, you know, been beaten. Basically, they built a church there, and you go down the line where he um, may have dropped the cross, and 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 we needed uh, Simon of Cyrene to help him out. Well, there's a spot on the wall, and I've got a picture of it, Bobby, where they believe that this is where Jesus put his hand to help himself get him up with the cross. There's a church there from where, you know, there's all these churches and yeah. the, the tour ends on this temple of the Holy Sepulcher, which is another church along these ways. Um, but I'm thankful. Yeah. I'm thankful that they took care of it though. Yeah. So let me just say one of the things I've tried to do in the survey that I'm giving you is I'm, I'm what I'm giving you that it's not contested. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the stations of the cross and all that, right. there's a lot of, religious tradition and they don't know right right uh, about those things whereas uh the church of the holy sepulcher for example mm-hmm. and uh the garden of gethsemane mm-hmm. and caiaphas's house these these things are substantive certainly certainly. So, that's why that's hey, why i appreciate uh, you bobby <laughs> i just want to come back uh not in this episode but when we started 
I started with a thing that I read from Craig Evans, uh, the archaeologist uh, in his book, Jesus and His World, the Archaeological Evidence. And he used that word verisimilitude. And what it means is what you find in the history of the Gospels is it matches the way things really were from everything that we can find. Again, we're talking about real people. Pilate, Caiaphas, uh, Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa, Felix and Festus. We're talking about places. 23 of the towns in, in of the 27 mentioned in the Gospels in Galilee have been found. We're talking about rivers like the Jordan River and uh, the Kidron Valley and the geography. And, and, and all of this is just corroborating what the Bible says. And uh, before we end, Anthony, I, I, I don't want to end by, by not connecting all this. What I mean by that is this is the most important stuff we could ever talk about. We talked a couple of podcasts ago spiritually and, and that sense of the Holy Spirit the invisible God convicting us that it's true. But I just want to say now, objectively, historically, this is true. Mm -hmm. Eternal destiny is caught up in what we do with this. Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches us, is the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. He himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So our eternal destiny, our eternal destiny is dependent on what we do with Jesus. And I just want you to know, I am thoroughly convinced by all the academic, objective, whatever you want to call it, the facts, the facts corroborate this stuff. And it's so important that we hear that and that we decide on that and that we make a decision on it. And I just want to tell anybody who may have any doubts about this stuff, you can believe it. Check out what we're saying in these podcasts. Go to renew.org and check out the, the article on the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the historical evidence. Find confirmation. Find objective support. And I just believe if your heart is open and you know you're a sinner and you know you need the sacrifice of Jesus, you know you need God to take away your sins, God loves you. He cares about you. And he wants you to turn to him. And we would love the opportunity. Uh, Anthony and I, you can you can contact him at Highway 231 Church in Murfreesboro. You can contact me at Harpeth Christian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, because we'd love to help facilitate. And it doesn't have to be us mm -hmm. where you say, God, I want to turn away from the sin in my life. I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust his sacrifice of atonement for my sin. I want to trust and follow Jesus. And the way you do that, the way Scripture teaches for you to do that, to express your repentance, 
and express your faith in Jesus is that you would surrender to him in water baptism, that in water baptism you would say, God, I believe in Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin. Give me your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you, Jesus. And I don't want to end this, this session without encouraging you to do that. And Anthony, I'm just going to turn it to you now uh, because I know you'll have something you want to add to what I've said. Certainly. I, to underline what you said, the gospel of Christ requires a response. Uh, we can't look at all of this evidence and do nothing with it. Uh, to the common man, there are facts to be believed, and we have out, laid out the facts to you. There are commands to be obeyed, and Bobby has laid those out to you as well. But there are also promises to be yeah. received. And so all of this uh, lines up, and we've dealt you know, from the beginning in these last couple of episodes, we've dealt from the beginning of Christ's life to his resurrection. And if you believe, if you just stopped at one spot and said, listen, I just, I believe that he was born. Well, there is miracle around his birth. He's born of a virgin. No one ever has been born like that before. We know that this is the son of God. If you stop at the place to say, hey, I just believe this was a great man and that he existed. Well, almost every step of his life is full of the power of God. He says, I didn't even speak unless the father gave me utterance. I didn't go unless the father told me to go. So I've got to acknowledge God the father then, even from Jesus's mouth. He says, if you believe in God, you got to believe in me too. So it, it's all linked up. You believe in me, you believe in God. But let's say you stop at the end and you say, hey, I believe that he died. He was a great man that died. But we also know that he was resurrected. And as we pointed out here that Paul says that if he did not get back up from the grave, our very life has no purpose. So it is because of the facts that we've laid out here and, and that Bobby has just laid out very eloquently. It is because of this that we now must respond. So for those that have not responded to this gospel, please, please do so. And even for those who are listening, you're already baptized believers in Christ, uh, but you've probably been a little shaky on your faith. You've been a little shaky in your walk with God. It is our prayer that this leads you back to a more intimate and real relationship with God. Listen, we appreciate you all for listening. Bobby, as always, I enjoyed uh, joining you on this time. We'll be looking forward to uh, next week. Thank you all so much, Bobby. Hey, 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 Anthony, let me uh, uh, lead us in a closing prayer, if I can. Certainly. Uh, if there's anyone who uh, has just found it very helpful and you want to do business with God. So let's just pause and I'll, I'll say a prayer. And when my prayer is done, the podcast will be done as well. Let's pray. God, um, I'm just going to raise my hands to you. Uh, that you're present, you're present now, you're also present as people are watching and listening. And God, uh, if there's anyone watching or listening, and this is a time where they either need to commit themselves to you, or they need to say, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to confirm that and make it concrete 
in baptism. We just, right now, just make that commitment to God. And if there's anyone watching or listening and you know that God wants you to recommit and say, Jesus, it's like the story I told of my friend Jonathan when we were in Capernaum and he was at the synagogue and it hit him and he saw the trajectory of his life either saying yes again to Jesus or just continue to go in unbelief. And the outcomes of those, he did, he just he knew he had to turn back to Jesus. And if you're like that, we just pray and ask that you would say that to God now. Tell God your decision to recommit. And God, please hear all these prayers and guide all these people. In Jesus' name, amen.